Are your lug nuts a little loose? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog Magnificent Show? Another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here as always. Got an interesting show for you tonight lined up. A uh, gentleman who is a author uh, w- uh, with a new book out, uh, but he's also a motivational keynote speaker and a guy who actually has the credentials to do that. And I'll, I'll expand on that uh, thought uh, when, when we bring him in uh, in just a moment. Before I get to him, I want to talk briefly about sponsors for tonight's program um and the first offer uh that first sponsor tonight has an author offer that is just a little bit hard to explain because it's unconventional so i'm going to do my best uh it's uh, there's no live read on this one folks this is me just winging it from the heart uh if you're in uh business sales marketing no matter what you do in business you know that lead acquisition is the lifeblood of your business getting quality leads for your business is what makes your business run and uh you probably if you're in marketing or in sales in any capacity at all uh have probably gone to great lengths to try to acquire quality leads and you probably know that linkedin is a powerful resource for doing just that. Well, my buddy Jeff Zygman, who was on this program a couple of months ago now, uh, he developed Skill Builder Academy. And what Skill Builder Academy is really is a learning uh, platform for learning business skills really quickly, breaking things down into bite-sized chunks. And uh, this is where it becomes complicated. Now, if you're uh, in business at all, you probably paid an outside uh, agency or a marketing person to actually acquire leads for you and go through the whole lead acquisition process. Well, what Jeff has built on top of Skill Builder Academy is a module, a training that allows you to use LinkedIn's built-in tools to automate uh, the lead acquisition process to get thousands and thousands of hot qualified leads. Whether you're in B2B or B2C, uh, it works very well in to get really qualified. I mean, people that are looking to purchase your products or services. And you can learn the whole thing in a half an hour, 30 minutes or less. And then you don't have to go pay a marketing guy to do any lead acquisition for you or an outside service to do that for you. So you can drop that recurring fee. You pay one time for the learning the module, and then it's yours to use whenever you want it. Right now, there is a special discount Excuse me, I've got a little bit of hoarseness going on there. In the uh, link description, there's a uh, in the description there's a link that will get you a hundred dollars off the initial purchase uh, of this product. And again, it's a one-time fee. You learn to do it, and you can do it at your heart's content anytime you want. Go get more leads. Go get more leads. And once you go through the thirty-minute process of learning it, it's a two-minute process to actually download thousands of hot, qualified leads for your business. Again, it's called Skill Builder Academy. Look for the link in the description. My other sponsor for tonight is Funwise Capital. You know about Funwise Capital if you listen to this program. They've been with us for six months or more now. Uh, Funwise Capital is a business lender matching platform that gets you the best credit lines guaranteed you can apply online in 60 seconds or less and there's no effect to your credit score to see how much you can get use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business you heard me right 
I said, start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, and I don't mean just a whim like, hey, uh, I'm unemployed because of COVID. Maybe I'll start my own business. No, no, no. You have to have a solid business plan. Get together with an accountant, a marketing director, get your documentation in order. If you have a solid business plan, they can get you funding to get you started. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. Get the best funding you can qualify for. There's strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to provide the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. You're not going to beat that deal. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, bridge loans, all that kind of stuff. They work with real estate, startups, like I mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. You just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Apply.funwise.com slash minddog. I do appreciate you uh, patronizing our sponsors, and the links, as always, will be in the description. Um, as I mentioned, tonight we have a, an extremely interesting gentleman uh, to talk to. Uh, Rocky Romanella, nice Irish name, is an experienced uh, CEO and director, uh, motivational keynote speaker, trainer, and advisor. He's the founder and principal of 360 Management Services, LLC. And with over 40 years of boots-on-the-ground leadership experience, Rocky is one of the best motivational keynote speakers in the country and internationally. He uh, also has a book out now called Tighten the Lug Nuts, uh, which is all about uh, the principles of balanced leadership. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome into the Mind Dog TV podcast, Rocky Romanella. Rocky, welcome. Well, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you tonight. That was uh Got some great sponsors there. I was writing down some names on those loans. Some great I, there, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you, I I really love that sponsors. I don't have to chase sponsors down or or look for sponsors anymore. They come to me. So that's a that's a mark that I'm doing something right because uh, I don't uh, have to egg do anything i don't have to lift a finger to get sponsors i have more sponsors than i know what to do with actually and in trying to fit them into the program can be can be difficult sometimes but oh, that's a great that's a great problem happy no look you were talking about leads in the beginning there but word of mouth is still the best advertisement right um so i mentioned uh, i want to talk about motivational and 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 keynote speaking uh, because i've had a lot of those people on and to be honest with you and i i'm not knocking any of my former guests but none of them have had the uh authority that you bring to it having had the experience of being a ceo and a director and and rebranding major well-known companies uh most of the motivational speakers that i speak to uh on, on this program come from the school of reading tony robbins books uh from the 1980s and and have always been a motivational speaker and never had the experience of being a ceo or a you know a a business leader. So you bring that to the the table, which is completely, uh, it's authentic and it's real. And it's, it's a, apart from what most motivational speakers do these days. Well, it's interesting because, you know, people always ask me about that, what differentiates you. And as you said, people are either very motivational, right? Like you said, Tony Robbins and, you know, we're getting pumped up or they're practitioners. It's rare that you get both. And I would sit at conferences all the time and, you know, hear these great speakers and their hot motivation. And I would say to myself, 
Can these people even run water downhill? What the have they ever done? Like, they have they ever had a sink for their lunch? Did they have to make a business plan? That all stuff all sounds really good. And so, you know, I had the opportunity during my time at UPS. I was there for 36 years and ran some, you know, uh, large operations for them. But I had the opportunity to do some speaking there. And it, it was nice to be able to combine the motivational side because you did that every day to motivate your people, to get them to be the best they could be. But also you had to sing for your lunch. You had to have results. You, you, you had to be able to do the things you said you were going to do. So I, so for me, it, it's been, uh, it's been a fun time to be able to take what I learned through my career and then share it with uh, the wonderful audiences out there and through the podcast and interviews like we're doing tonight. Right. Well, and it occurs to me, and this is just a thought I had lately that I, I thought, I think of myself as a, pretty unmotivated guy i'm pretty much lazy by <laughs> by by nature but when i said that to somebody the other day they said well you work extreme you work harder than anybody else doing what you do uh you you i do two or three shows a day often uh just finished up a radio show just recently so motivation and, and uh and work ethic can take a different um look depending on what your what your real passion is right so uh, i can be really motivated even though i think of myself as a, a lazy kind of guy not looking for motivation i really work hard and that when that was pointed out to me i was like wow so uh do you think motivation uh, can hide itself sometimes or, do, or or really motivated people can be disguised as, as lazy guys like me? <laughs> no, well, well, I think, I think you have the, the, the two key ingredients of success, which is hard work and enthusiasm. And if you think about it for a second, you know, hard work without enthusiasm is just that hard work. It gets old. So you bring, you know, hard work, doing the two or three shows, doing a show at eight o'clock at night, tomorrow, one o'clock in the afternoon, you're preparing for your guests. You're clearly well-prepared listening to some of your shows. I mean, you know, just don't get on and wing it. So you, you do work at it, but you bring enthusiasm. And so on the enthusiasm is what makes it so special. Motivation is something interesting. Motivation is probably that time when, you know, you need maybe a little push here and there, or you need to, an understanding of why, or maybe a little bit of pumping up, but you know, think about sports for a second, right? You know, baseball, they always say motive, you know, there's no, uh, you know, there's, there's no like momentum in baseball because it's the next day's pitcher, right? Or football, it's the next game you play. Well, it's the same in business, right? You know, you're, you're always, there's all these peaks of value, value, uh, valleys. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Valley, well, I'm a Jersey guy, so some of these words come out a little bit. Uh, a little yeah, bit, I'm you know. I'm Long Island, so, yeah, yeah, people, so yeah. people are gonna have a tough time with the accents here. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right. Forget about <laughs> it, right? But but yeah, what exit are you from, right? Yeah, the whole story. But to to your point, though, motivation is probably is what helps you through those peaks and valleys. It it helps you understand. Okay, we had a great couple months, we had a great couple quarters, but we're gonna we're gonna have a problem at some point, or it's gonna We'll ride the wave. And so we got to be able, so motivation helps you through those times. But what you're talking about, what you're doing is what I think is so important in, in, in success, which is hard work and enthusiasm. Look, there's no substitute for hard work and hard work without enthusiasm is just that hard work that gets old. So you got to bring enthusiasm. Gotcha. Well, <clears throat> excuse me for the, the, uh, issues with the voice here tonight folks i guess i i have been pushing it a little bit but uh a lot of times with the leadership people i talk to and that's a whole other thing where i want to get into the difference between leadership and management but uh one of the leadership people i talk to they they 
tend to lean on cliches. And one of the big cliches that we hear so often is uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Uh, I don't I don't find that to be true. I'm doing what I love, but I, I work every day <laughs> and I work seven days a week and I work hard at it. Uh, I think uh, when we when we lean on those cliches, sometimes they have a, a, a ring of truth to them. But if you look deep behind that, it, it can be kind of a little bit destructive because it paints work as a bad thing. Your take on that. Well, see, I think that what makes great leadership is people understanding as the leaders that there are no easy jobs in, in any organization and in, any, in, in anything people do, right? So if every job has its share of complexity, its share of difficulties, it could be a new job for you, could be a job that people think, oh, it's a simple job to do, but it's your first job maybe. So I think there are no easy jobs. And because of that, then you have to work at your trade. You know, my dad rest his soul when I got my job at UPS out of high school and I started unloading trailers. He told me two things that stuck with me throughout my life and have been such an important part of my growth and development uh, in my adult life. And he said to me, hey, look, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. And then learn your job and learn some more. The day you think you understand everything is the day you're far and farther, you're falling farther and farther behind. So I think you're always working at your craft. You're always trying to prove yourself. I mean, think about it. When I was a driver in 1980, I was on paper, and the biggest concern I had was the carbon paper. And when it rained, you know, the paper got wet. Now today, you would never see a driver without, you know, a, a device. So you're always going to have to work. You're always going to have to learn. You're always going to have to bring up your skills. So, you know, those people, you know, it sounds really good, you know, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. You're always working. You're always out there trying to be the best you can. And I think it's important for people to hear that because I think they get misled by that. And, you know, uh, the idea and it, it kind of paints the idea that work is a dirty word. It's, it's like something uh, that we're trying to avoid. And I, I think to the point, I think if you do love what you're doing, uh, you don't mind doing the work. It becomes enjoyable. But there's always going to be some crap that you don't don't love doing, and, and that's part of it. That that's the stuff you have to do. It's just it's part of life. It's part of working. Part of being a grown up is is having to deal with the stuff that people don't want to deal with. Well, go no further than you watch some of these golfers, right? And you think to yourself, you know, I don't know about you, but I that's a game that uh, you know I, I struggle with mightily, right? And but you look at these golfers, and they're out there hitting golf ball after golf ball after golf ball. I mean, they're working. I mean, I mean, it's, you know, at some point there's something that comes up that they'd rather do, but they can't because to be the best at their trade or be the best, best at their craft, they're going to have to work at it. And look hard. It's hard work. I mean, I think, look, there's nothing wrong with hard work. The, you know, the, the best medicine or if you're feeling down or feeling blue is go out and get some, go out and do some work and feel good about yourself because you accomplish something in that. And yeah, right. I mean, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, People are, I think what happens is people see where you are at this moment, but they never see where you were when you started, right? And I think yeah. it's that gap that people never understand. You know, oh, here you are at this point in your life, and that's where I want to be. Well, okay, but, uh, you know, like in my case, I unloaded trailers part-time. I was a delivery driver. You know, all those, you know, peak season at Christmas, we're out delivering packages. You know, Christmas Eve, you know, we, you know, when we first started at UPS, you weren't allowed as a management person to go home before the last driver comes in. So if you think about it, those are all the things that you learned and you grow up understanding. And so I, I, like I said, to me, there's no substitute for hard work. Now you have to work smart. I think the thing I learned over the course of my life and career is there's nice to do things and need to do things. And sometimes we put them all together 
And when you do the nice to do things and maybe you take away from your family or maybe, you know, you're working a little bit longer than you have to, then that's when you probably, you know, for me, I, I would have liked to learn that lesson a little bit sooner. I put everything I need to do. Got to get it done, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Driven people. Uh, it sounds to me, and just hearing your story, and I want to make sure I have this correctly, you started as a blue-collar guy for UPS and worked your way through school working for the same company, and then when you graduated school, uh, you became a white-collar guy for the same company that you started with as a blue-collar guy. Do I have that correct? Yeah, so I started out part-time on loading trailers. Uh, I was working my way through college. I went to St. John's in Staten Island. I didn't go to the Jamaica Queens campus. I went to the St. John's Commuter College and worked my way through school. And then once I graduated, I became a driver. And I loved being a UPS driver. It was uh, it was an honor to be, you know, be out there delivering. I had a good time. My grandmother, the rest of the soul, Nona used to press my uniform every day. And, I, man, I go out with starched stuff. I look good out there. And then uh, became a full-time supervisor. And then UPS had a promotion from within policy which I took advantage of. And it's interesting. Some of the lessons I learned first, the first lesson I learned is uh, becoming a driver was so important because it taught me to understand the business and then understand how valuable each and every person in our organization is. And every job I got after that. So for example, after I went into management, one of the responsibilities I received was the opportunity to run mailboxes, et cetera, after we purchased it. And then we rebranded to the UPS store. First thing I did, I knew nothing about franchising, First thing I did was, hey, go put an apron on and go see what happens in the store. We purchased over 20 companies and built UPS supply chain solutions. And I had this side of the world for UPS. First thing I did was not tell everybody, hey, you know, new sheriff in town, we're going to do things different. No, the first thing I did was I'm going to go out and pick some orders, understand what's going on. And so I think it's so important that you never forget that that the brand is carried by your front frontline people. The most important people are in your organization are those individuals closest to your customers and those people that are executing the brand. And so for me, it was always whenever I could, I always wanted to get, you know, get down and understand what's going on and see our people and, and thank them for the job they do on behalf of our organization. Wow, that's a great story. And it's it's quite an unusual story. I don't think uh, most people, uh, and with fewer exceptions that I know about, who are in senior management or any kind of management positions, started in the same company from the ground up as the as you know one of the rank and file blue collar workers who make the things happen every day. And I think it, it, it's got to give you a, a unique perspective. And I think a lot of people who are who sign on for a job uh, i think it's really important to know how their the work they do benefits and is part of the whole company i think when you when you see people who are unhappy in work oftentimes it's they feel like the job they do is meaningless and don't get how it fits into the bigger picture of the whole team and and they feel like disconnected from the company because they don't know how what they do is affecting the bigger picture uh, is that am i accurate in that in that perception yeah, I think you're accurate. I think that goes back to the what you talked about a few minutes ago, this whole concept of leadership, right? So leaders are those people who get their people to connect the dots. I originally went, interestingly enough, I originally went to school while I was working my way through college to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach. <laughs> what I quickly realized is, is that the best leaders inside the organization were those people who could get their people to connect the dots. So I never gave up my coaching or teaching passion. I just did it in a different venue. I did it inside of UPS. And so for me, I viewed my role as a coach, as a teacher, as a mentor. And that's leadership, right? The taskmaster is a person just barking out orders, 
So that's not a that's not a leader. That's a manager, maybe, or that's a taskmaster, you know. But that's not a leader. A leader inspires people because they get their people to understand. They build that bridge. They they get people to understand what we're trying to accomplish, and they understand how important their people are in that process, right? You know, sometimes you'll hear people say things like, well, you know, he's a numbers guy or he's a numbers person. It's all about the numbers. Well, if he's a numbers guy or a numbers person, then he understands the the importance of the asset. Well, to me, the most important asset is your people. So if your people are your most important asset and you're a numbers guy and you know that your assets are your most important commodity inside your organization, take care of your people. Right. Um, one of the things we talk about often, and I've seen it as a manager, a lot of times you'll have people who take a job and they're not really, uh, that's all they want is a job. They want, they want that nine to five job. They want to punch in and do their job. Well, they do their job well. And then they want to punch out at five o'clock and be done with it and not think about the company and not really care about and care is a, 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 a strange word to use there, but not really care about the overall picture of the company or where they fit into. They're just there for the job, and that's all they want. And I think some of those people can be your most productive people. Other people are of the mindset, no, we have to have everybody uh, on the team buying into the vision of the company and all that stuff. What's your position on that? Are, is there value in those people who just are there for the job? Well, yes. And I think part of the reason why they're just there for the job is because they don't know how important they are or they don't see the value in what they do. And that comes down to that's the leadership inside the organization has to let them know. You know, I get the question a lot of times, you know, I'm an individual contributor, so I'm really not a leader. I disagree with that completely. We're all leaders at one time or another. And sometimes those individual contributors are the most important people in your organization. Give a quick example. You know, you have that person who's maybe a senior employee who, you know, knows the business cold and everyone who starts ends up going over there saying, hey, Matt, you know, I just got here. How you doing? Yeah. You know, how do we do this? Why do we do this? And of course, Matt's been there for a long time and Matt gives you the story of why we do what we do, how we do it, what's important. And then that, that new employee may walk away and now they have that knowledge and they have that experience and they really become a great contributor. Well, who is the most important person in that discussion? Matt. Right. I would say I'm not, a, I'm not a leader. I'm an individual contributor. I don't have anybody very important to me. So, so we all are leaders. And, we're, and one of the things that makes great leadership is you leave things a little better than you found them. People are better because of their time with you. If you think about an example I gave you before, Matt, that I went to school to be a history teacher, right? Think about this. If I was having a, a keynote conference and there's 350 people in the audience and I asked the audience, hey, who is your state senator or, or who's the, you know, who's the head of the board of ed in your, you know, your city or state? Most people can't answer that question. But if I ask the question, who's that teacher that made a difference in your life? Everybody stops, tilts their head. Oh, Miss so-and-so in fifth grade, Mr. So-and-so in sixth grade. Well, by that extension, they're leaders because they made a difference. They left things a little better and they found them. People are better because of their time with them. To me, that's one of the greatest attributes of leadership is that they leave things a little better than they found them. Huh. Interesting stuff. And yeah, I, I definitely, that resonates with me because I, I, 
I can name my senator, but I can't name my, my board of education teacher. But uh, I, I know what you mean. The, the people who make the difference and me, leave the biggest impact on you. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I want to share this story with you and get your perspective on it now, because I think it's it's it happens more often than than people would think in, in business now. Uh, there was a corporation I worked for, which, a long story, I'm trying to make this as quickly as possible, but I hired myself there as a video editor many, many years ago. Uh, and uh, I quick, nobody even knew I was working there. Nobody hired me there. I walked in the door and started doing the work. Oh. And it, uh, that part is unusual. But uh, people saw how. Uh, responded to my work and the ceo said who's this guy and, so, and somebody said i don't know he's just he's doing great work and so he he saw he saw the work and he was impressed they hired me to a supervisor position which was a supervisor of multimedia services at that point and they were expanding and buying new companies and at some point they came to me and said we're going to make you a junior vice president and this wasn't long after i'd been i've only i had been there like eight months at the time and uh okay uh but i wasn't what i wanted to do and and they, they told me, we're going to put you in charge of 800 people. And that scared me. And it, But what they saw in me was somebody who knew his job very well and that was willing to help other people and get involved and help people solve problems across the board. But they never bothered to ask me if senior management was something I want. And the minute I got into it, I, I was choking. I was like, this is not the, I don't want to be responsible for other people's lives and livelihoods. And they put me through this management program. And uh, I was like, I, I didn't want it. I would, and I, I, after two years in that position, I walked away from a, a job that paid me $204,000 a year, just walked away without having an, another job in line because I, I felt like I was choking. And I went to another position after that. And the same thing happened and again, like I got promoted to not to a, a level of incompetence, to a level where I could handle a job, I could do the job well, but I didn't want that job. I didn't want that responsibility. I just wanted to do the work that I loved doing. And I, I, I think that probably happens more often than just me. Am I wrong in that? No, you're absolutely right. And so I would say that is a violation of one of the key principles of secession planning. That principle is simply this, and it was a question I would always ask when someone would bring me a, you know, a promotion candidate. I would always ask the question, do we want more for Matt than, Matt's want, than Matt wants for himself? And that's an important question because many times with good intentions, we see things in people. We think they have all this opportunity. We think they have all this skill and they may, but, but you see more in them than they see in themselves. And that disconnect causes what happened to you. That disconnect causes you just took a great employee who's excellent at what they did, what, and when they were doing it, and then they end up leaving. Right. We, we used to struggle with that all the time. We'd have a great UPS driver. We'd say, Hey, why don't you become a full-time soup? No, nah, I'm not really interested. I really love being, nah, you'd be the best supervisor in the world you know, nah, you know, I, I'm really happy doing this. And we could kind of, we convince them to be a supervisor and they're, they're just so unhappy. They end up leaving. And, and we lost twice. We lost, a, you know, the opportunity to fill a manager position that we needed to fill. And now we're back in filling it again, but more important than that, that aside, that's the least of the, we lost a great employee who was a fantastic uh, service provider driver who represented our brand better than anybody else did. And because we wanted more for them, than they want it for themselves, we lost a good employee. So that's the first question you always have to ask when you're 
promoting or you're looking at that promotion process or you're doing your session planning and looking to fill in. So if they asked you that question and asked it to you in a way that didn't make you feel like you were letting them down, you would have said, well, I really love what I'm doing. I appreciate I love helping everybody else. I'm still going to do that, but I'm really not interested in managing 800 people. Then that would have been the perfect time for you both to be on the same page and you may still be there. Right. The increase in money would have probably overridden me anyway. And I probably would have lied and said, sure, I'm, I'll, I'll manage 800 people <laughs> to be honest. Cause I think I went from 60,000 to immediately to 140,000. And then eight months later I was making over $200,000 a year. That's, that's a hard, right. you know, principle wise that your principles kind of go out. The, yeah. I don't want to be responsible for eight, 800 people, but Man, I can I can pay my bills a whole lot better on, on this money than I. <laughs> life life got easier on the outside, but so if I could quickly just add one more piece to that, then so so one of the major major lessons I learned. So if you remember, I told you my dad the two things he told me, right? Whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. Learn your job and learn some more. Well, as I was getting tapped on the shoulder by UPS, I didn't always feel ready, and I was moving across the country. I started in Jersey, moved to Chicago. New York City, Syracuse, New York. Then, of course, I went to Des Moines, Iowa. Picture a guy named Rocky Romanello in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> the number one question, I, I loved it, but number one question I would get, hey, are you in a women's protection program? Like, how'd you get here? <laughs> if I was in a women's protection program, I'd be Joe Smith. I wouldn't be Rocky Romanello. <laughs> I went to Southern California, Atlanta, Philly, Atlanta. And, and the only reason why I tell you that is because all along the way, I was getting new jobs like Mailbox, et cetera, or, or, you know, or, the, or the supply chain. But I always remember my dad saying, hey, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. So I said, okay, if you think I'm ready. But the lesson I learned, the kind of uh, kind of full circle here on, on your story is, the lesson I learned is that you have to believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. So they tapped you on the so shoulder, they gave you a good raise, and you, you know, okay, I'm going to try this. But then they had to bridge the gap of your confidence and your knowledge by believing in you and helping you until you got to that break even point, then that's when you step back as a leader. So, so I kind of carry you to that point where you're feeling good about yourself. You're having some successes. Hey, maybe I can do this. I never thought I'd be, a, you know, I never thought I would be a supervisor or manager, but I think I can do this. And then, you know what, you get that break even point. And then what happens is you step back, you don't overmanage Rocky or Matt, you let them fly. And I think that that's one of the most valuable lessons I learned that that organizations and leaders have to believe in their people often until they're ready to believe in themselves. Right. And, and part of the corporation that I worked for, and this is, I'm wondering if this is, uh, when, when companies get too big, there's too many managers in, in, in some ways. I think the co corporation that I worked for, at the time I was working for them, they had 27,000 employees. I believe there were, um, on the junior vice president level, there were 800 people. There were probably about 200 vice presidents and then the president of the company and the CEO. So can too many managers uh, just ruin a company? Well, you know what? You got to remember at the end of the day, who, who does the work? I mean, the problem is the inverse, tri the inverse triangle, right? So to think about it from a triangle perspective, the base is your strongest part. Well, that's your people. That's your frontline people. That's where you want to have your money and your people, right? Sometimes it gets inverse, right? They flip it upside down and you got like two drivers and you need five and you got 15 magic people all discussing things. You don't need 15 magic people. You right. need Need about five or six more drivers. So I, I think that you're right. That that's what ends up happening. Everybody gets a name, everybody gets a title. 
you know, you want to be lean and mean and, and you, you know, you really, you want to be strong at the base where your people are and where, where you're really executing the brand promise. So, and, right. and, and, and that's why earlier I said, I know the difference between management and leadership. And I think having so many managers uh, and very few leaders can be a big problem. And so people get the title, but title doesn't give you leadership. People don't want, have to want to follow you. And so all the 800 junior vice presidents, like, and a lot of times our territories or our jurisdiction would kind of uh, overlap and there would be kind of internal battles. What they liked about me was because I was uh, a street guy. <laughs> I wasn't a yes man. Yeah. And I would I would often stand up. I didn't have any qualms uh, saying to the CEO of the company, that's not the right way to do it. And we have, you know, too much. We're, we're having too many birthday parties around here every single day, too much cake and not enough work being done. And so they that was refreshing because they were used to people who tied the uh told the corporate line and stuff but the difference between management management and leadership so you can have lots of managers but it's important to know who's really uh who's really uh the leader and and who's setting the tone and example and uh mission for for the company i think that gets lost when you have too many managers well i think that's true and i also think that what ends up happening is it's funny when people leave a company you know and you have turnover. A lot of times they'll 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 talk about turnover as oh we don't maybe it's a pay problem or what well, you know maybe it's an hours problem whatever. But at the end of the day, turnover is mostly caused because you don't feel like you fit. You know I you know I was I had thirty six year career at UPS. I didn't agree with everything that happened at UPS. I didn't disagree enough to leave. I never felt like my values, my ethics were ever challenged. I felt like I belonged. I, they recognized hard work. They, they believe that, you know, you got recognized for the things that you did. So for me, I fit, I felt like I fit there. Right. So on those difficult days, I mean, never asked me to violate a policy, break a law, do any of those kinds of things. So my values and my ethics fit there. Right. If you think about people who leave companies, they leave companies because they don't feel like they belong there. It's like when you take your kids to college, you know, on the campus tour, you can just see in their face that they're walking around and they're like, I think I belong here. I fit here. Well, that's what you want inside an organization. I fit. I don't agree. Look, I don't agree with everything that happens. I don't disagree enough to leave. And I think that that's what's so important. And I think that's where the turnover comes in companies. It's because I don't really feel like I belong here. I don't feel like my values, my core as a person really, really fits. And I think that that's what's so important. And organizations, to your point, when you have leaders, they emulate their policies and their plans. They, you know, they, they kind of set the tone from the top. Managers or just, you know, executing tasks, right? So you, you you don't really know what they stand for because they don't never talk about it. They never show you in the way they do things. And so they're just moving the cattle along kind of idea, right? You know, they're the shepherds. Right. Which, by the way, you know, it's a really important people are shepherds, so I'm not really going to, can't say anything bad about shepherds, but think about that. You're just moving things along. Well, that's not leadership. I mean, it's an important job to be that person moving things along, but, but you want to be that leader. You want to be that person who inspires. You want to be that person who sets the tone from the top. Right. And, you know, and titles can be, um, misleading in, in, in a lot of ways, but, uh, uh, there's also the other side of that where titles can be important, uh, to people who are on their way up and, and want to be feel recognized and feel part of the company. I'll give you an example of that. I was a marketing director for a company and I had a, uh, 
a young lady who worked for me and she was doing all the social media work and and doing it very well digital marketing stuff and uh i wanted to fight for her to get a raise i went to hr and it was like pulling teeth to get a raise for this girl and they, they i said we need to create a new position for her and i wanted to call it social media manager and they you can't use that word if you use manager she's going to demand too much money <laughs> and and but i thought it was important for this young girl to have that kind of uh moniker to live up to number one to motivate her and to give to to give her something to be proud of and, and move forward. But management, the upper management and the, the director of the VP of who was the HR person uh, was dead, dead set against it and did not want to give out that title because the word manager would screw up the entire. Uh, so wh where would you fall on that discussion about, um, you know, give, creating a new position and making somebody uh, giving them the title of manager? Because I thought, I thought it would be helpful for the company and for her. Well, first of all, you know, there's titles internal and external. So the easiest thing that would have been for them to say to you, well, look, you know, you know, her title is manager because when she goes out on behalf of the organization or she's out working on social media platforms or going to conference as our social media person, that title gives her a sense of authority and also a good representation of our company. So there's ways that you can easily make that work. That's just somebody doesn't want to do it. I mean, you know, that's the biggest thing that cracks you up. You know, I love when these people come up with all these different reasons why they can't do it. Why don't you just say the truth? You don't want to do it. All right. Right. Yeah. Frank already, already. You know, I used to tell people when I was, uh, after I retired from UPS, I was recruited to be a CEO of a telecom company. And I would say to people all the time, CEO for me stands for chief enthusiasm officer. I'm the guy that's supposed to be running around, making sure people are doing a good job. They're happy, you know, coming up with strategies. I don't not over managing the place or being, you know, the tyrant. So I think that, you know, look, there's titles that are important to the outside world because it helps you become more effective in representing the organization and maybe getting you a seat at the table at an important meeting on behalf of the organization. Then there's titles internally, you know, that, that, that probably are tied up with bands of salary and everything else. I understand that, but all of those things can be worked around. And I think that it really comes down to, you know, people getting, people get themselves, they box themselves in the, in these corners that they can't get themselves out of. No one's ever going to be this. No one ever could do that. I mean, just take a deep breath, man. It's, it's because it, it's, it's never about them as the, it, it's, it's about their people. And, you know, if, as HR manager, doesn't it drive you crazy as the HR manager, shouldn't the HR person, shouldn't it, it's, it stands for human resources. Right. They've been fighting for the humans here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the problem was the human resources vice president, the, the human resources director, who was also vice president of the company, was the uh, CEO's wife. Oh, uh, man, we're, <laughs> we're going to a bad place here now. Wait, right, right. Uh, well, that company had so many problems yeah. with it, and and, and uh, I could talk for days on on but the. They'll probably, but they probably had turnover problems too, right? Because at some point, people huge. Say, hey, I'm not valued here, and and. You know, the, the price of turnover is such, such a, a, a devastating expense inside the organization, as well as, you know, it just kills the brand because your service, you know, you don't have consistency in your service. It's just terrible. I mean, you know, you want to you want to be in an organization, you want to run an organization that people would be willing to, you know, recommend a family member to come there. Now, you may not hire, you may not want to have too many family members just because of nepotism and you've 
But at the end of the day, the, the point is you should you should feel good enough about your company that you would recommend you you would you would with pride say, Hey, I work for so and so, I work for so and so, not oh man, I work for so and so. You know how that goes. Yeah, yeah. Uh I want to touch on something that may be a little bit political, and I'm I don't want it to be political, but uh <laughs> It, it really can't help itself in some ways. I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in capitalism. I definitely am. But one, I, I heard the argument made uh, that what COVID has taught us in some ways is our compensation model is upside down in, in a lot of ways. And what I mean by that and what the person who was giving the lecture that I responded to uh is that we found out we we're calling people essential employees, essential employees. That they were essential for all of our lives and companies staying open in a lot of ways. And they were the minimum wage workers. The people who are lowest compensated are essential. Does that? And when you stop to think about that, maybe the compensation model. And I understand. You know, I don't like the um the argument where people say, well, CEO made $40 million. That's unfair. Well, I understand that senior management sometimes, uh, all, almost all the time, has a, a huge responsibility to everybody, not just uh, the, the people below him, but the people above him, the stockholders or whatever, has a huge responsibility, and they should be very well compensated for that. But do you feel at all that some, in some ways, you know, across the board, that uh, compensation models need to be adjusted for to people who are we now know are essential should be kind of compensated as essential. Well, I I think we we lost track a little bit. This is just an editorial that may not necessarily represent the view of the station. But yeah. from my from my thoughts, I, I I don't really know what jobs aren't essential, right? Because who 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 puts a job up and says, hey. You know, can you imagine, think about all the places you've worked or your listeners work, and can you picture sitting around a board meeting or staffing one day saying, hey, uh, can you put a rec up for, I just want to hire some people. We don't really need them. They're not essential. It wouldn't, wouldn't matter if they were here or not. <laughs> no. It doesn't make any sense. Just, you know, I understand where the term came from during the pandemic, that essential in the sense of, okay, we got to have food and those kind of things. But every job's every job's essential. You wouldn't put it up. You wouldn't have it in your organization. Uh, I so, I, I, I think that that's probably it. Now, I, to answer your question, I, I think it's always important to evaluate the, the compensation. I, I, I don't disagree with that at all because there's always changes in the compensation. There's always changes in responsibilities. And I think that that's, I think that that's what's, what's important. I think the best companies, I feel like, do a very good job of fairness, that they understand you know, I think what they do is they really understand the roles and responsibility. And they, and I think what also is important in compensation is what's my path forward? Do we do a good job on succession planning? Do I understand, you know, the questions that, you know, some of the things that we were talking about in some of the places that you were using as examples, right, without going into their names, you, you know, you didn't really have succession planning. You didn't really know, well, what role do I play? You know, where do I fit? I mean, we're going to draw a line in the sand on my title. The, that's where people, you couldn't pay me enough money to work there. Like you said, you couldn't right. pay me enough money to stay at that company at that job because I didn't feel like I would fit in that job or I belong there. So I think it's important to understand the compensations and always reevaluate them. But I think what you have to do is understand, you know, the, the job and what people are doing. 
And then the last thing, uh, you know, something for you to think about and maybe talk with some of your, you know, because you have some outstanding guests. I mean, much smarter than I am on a lot of these topics. If you think about it, though. Okay, so now you've now I, I, what I'm going to be curious to see my watchful eye is going to be all, right, all these people who ran around and said, hey, that's an essential job. That's an essential job. Hey, that's, we got to make sure we take care of that. that's an essential job. A year from now, when the pandemic's behind us and everybody's vaccined and we're back to doing what we did, you know, before the pandemic, are we going to forget about them as essential workers, right? Yeah. Are we going to, you know, and if the answer is yes, then then you were a bunch of hypocrites. You didn't really view them as essential. You viewed them as need. You needed them, right? You were afraid. God forbid, I went to the hospital. There wasn't a nurse, right? I mean, think about that. I'm afraid the answer is yes to a lot of that. You know, my wife is a nurse, and uh, if I told you what she makes, it's 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 laughable in, in some ways. And and but I do think you know. Those people are essential and they will always be essential, you know, and, and not to pick on it again. Everybody's essential. You're absolutely right. A job would if, if it wasn't essential, you wouldn't have that job. It wouldn't right. exist. Uh, but for, you know, for society, I think nurses and doctors, um, doctors are well compensated, but nurses and, and nurses, aides and healthcare workers below the doctor level, I think, are un, unfairly compensated. And I, I'm afraid that when this blows over if it blows over i'm not sure i'm not, i don't share your optimism that it will in a year or so but i i don't think i i think it will go back to yeah they're not so essential anymore let's pay them 25 dollars an hour or whatever uh or lower i know there are nurses nurses can start at 16 dollars an hour to oh, be risk, risking your life out there and you know uh it, to all sorts of contagious diseases not just covid but anything and everything else you have to put up with you know nurses jobs are really dirty and ugly sometimes well, and interesting. So, you know just to, not, like i said i agree with you i don't we shouldn't let's not get into politics and those kinds of things but think about this for a second you know when people when you know when people talk about the corporate tax rate you know, you just sit there and you hear people, oh, I can't believe, you know, corporate tax rate, you know, we, we lowered the corporate tax rate. Well, if you think about a corporation for a second, the corporation can only do certain things with the money, right? Because that's what the board does, right? So the board directs it and the owners direct it. So what, what are the things that a company can do? So you lower the, the tax rate of a corporation and then you say, okay, well, what, what happens with that extra profit, right? Well, a, 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 there's more value in the company. So if it's in the stock market, you're going to have more value. It's going to, and then what happens is it helps, you know, every single uh, uh, union is pension plan is, is rooted in some part of the stock market, by the way, no one ever talks about that, but think about it. They pay their people or they pay their, they, and their people are part of the board and everything else. So I agree with that, you know, that there's a, there's a salary piece there, but their people get paid, right. Or they reinvest in the company right? Well, they get paid dividends. I mean, those are all compensation things. They're not, you know, people always say, well, you know, raise the tax rate, let them pay more taxes. Okay. But if they pay more taxes and they make less money, there's less money they can give to their people or share owners or whatever. So I think that you really have to think about, forget all that stuff. Where, do, How do our people get paid? And then that's what we should do is try to figure out the best way to get those people paid. And I think that that's where, to your point, you start to see the value in people. You start to see the value in the things that are, you know, that are going on. I mean, look, look about when, when you and I went to college. I mean, is the college that diff, that much? I don't, I mean, I'm just asking you this. If, if I'm going off script here. Just, no, that's fine. Don't think about it. When you uh, and I, went to college, I like where you're going. 
the college today than when we went, right? I mean, I mean, we got the same. These kids still have the same book that they have to do their testing and write in. Remember those, yeah. those goofy books we used to. So they got the same things. Some of the some of the workbooks. The only difference they're online. So why is school when I went to St. John's five thousand dollars in nineteen eighty? Why does it have to be fifty, sixty thousand dollars? I mean, what? Is the teachers getting paid that? No. Who's getting all this money that we're paying for? It doesn't make any sense to me. No, I, I can't answer that question where the money's going to. I often question that. And uh, I don't think, I think this is the, the problem when we talk about uh, higher education these days. First of all, I don't think college is that for everybody. And when you and I were young, we I think we were the first generation that they said everybody has to go to college. And I don't think everybody has to go to college. There's, there are people who should go to college. If you know what you want to do with your life, you should go to college. But you, if you don't know, I think people going for a liberal arts degree uh, a li or signing up as a liberal, liberal arts major without having any idea what they really want to do with their life, I think sometimes, and taking on a boatload of debt to do it, I, I think you're better off finding yourself working a job or uh, traveling and working many, many jobs, going from job to job to see what you love rather than wasting it uh, on a lot of debt accumulated for college. Oh, wow. But, but where where that money goes that all of a sudden, uh, uh, where I used to pay, I, I'm not embarrassed to say my tuition was $1,250 at Eastern New Mexico University a semester. $1,250. Right. Now people, you know, $125,000 a semester right. or something insane like that. Well, I have no idea what they're doing with that extra money, but I would love to get to the bottom oh, of that yeah. one. Well, think about this too, right? So that's one piece of it. The second piece of it is, you know, uh, uh, I think trades, people should get into trades. Right. The problem is, is think about it. When, when we were growing up, if, if, if one of the guys you graduated high school with or one of the girls you graduated high school with said, Oh, I'm going to become a nurse or I'm going to become a, you know, or, you know, I'm going to be, you know, electrician. Yeah. You didn't think anything of it. Like, oh, it's great. Hey, guy got into electrical union. What a great deal that is. Right. But today, if you say to somebody, oh, where'd you go to school? Oh, I didn't go to college. And because, oh, you didn't go to college. Right. But right away, they make you feel like you're the village idiot because you couldn't get into college. No, you got a great trade. You're a machinist. I mean, my brother is a, is a machinist. He does a great job. He, you know, he makes such, he's a, such a talented person. I, I, I look at what my brother Georgie does. I'm like, man, I wish I could do the things that he does. I mean, and, and the things he does are so important with the, some of the parts that he makes, but I mean, he should never feel like, Oh, I didn't go to college. Oh, you must've been the smart the, the kid, the, the son that couldn't go to school. No, he was very talented and a great tradesman. But when you say to somebody, Oh, you didn't go to college. Well, now you make him feel less than no, no. Right. no right. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Because I went to college, I'm like, all of a sudden, I know something more than the next. No, it, it just it, it doesn't work that way. Right. The world the world runs on a lot of people who didn't go to college. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, think about it. I mean, look, look, at, look you know, I, I, look, I, I, I feel like, you know, I was fortunate to have a, gr a good career. But look, when I went, when I first went to started working at UPS, I was the last person anybody thought would be doing this, right? I love when people say, oh, this generation. I went, I started at UPS. I had a ponytail, I had a beard, and I knew every word to stairway to heaven. There was nobody thinking I was going to do anything important. <laughs> so, I mean, what were these people that like come? Oh, I went to Harvard. I, I, you know, I graduated summa cum lucky. All right. So, does that mean, you know, I mean, it's hard work. It, it's, 
It's being committed. It's learning your job. It's doing the best job you can. It's not because you got some piece of paper that said you went to some big school. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with it's your, it's your commitments that you make and that your ability to work through things and, and, and people who are not committed, right. They figure out all different ways. Like, ah, how about the, ah, I got no luck. And that's why I wrote the book with the title, tighten the lug nuts. I mean, loose lug nuts, you know, when the lug nuts are loose, right, they're important, but if you can simply go tighten them, but you don't, you get distracted, something else comes up, you want to do something else. Well, then the front wheel falls off. And now what do you, oh, I got no luck. The front wheel fell off. No, man, you should have tightened the lug nuts. You should have taken care of things when you could take care of them, right? right. Don't know important things that become urgent. And you, you and I think about all the people, you know, when you meet, come on your show, you talk to, they got more loose lug nuts than anybody we know. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> they never tighten them. They always are distracted. They feel like they don't, you know, I got no luck. Nothing ever goes my way, man. You make your own luck work. Right. I want to talk a little bit about the book because you threw you threw me for a loop. I, I I thought it was just a basic nonfiction motivational type of book, and then but when we were discussing it, uh, just previous to the show, you said the the character's name or or Joe. Joe Stone. Yeah. So is it a fiction book or is this a fictional character or is it a real life story of a real person? Well, tell me about the so book. It's, it's it's sort of the it's sort of the story. So during my career, I never liked the word I, or when people would bring me an idea, I'd say, and I'd say to you, hey, that's a good idea, but what if? And the what if, I always looked at your face and you'd be like, ah, maybe I didn't think it's a good idea. Maybe I wasn't prepared. It was never my intention to make you feel that I wasn't happy that you brought me an idea or that it wasn't a good idea. So one day, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, I, I sat there and said the, the first person, I remember the day and the time, I said, hey, you think Joe Scaffone thinks that's a good idea? And they looked at me and they said, who? I go, Joe Scaffone. You think Joe Scaffone would think that's a good idea? And I, go, I don't know. I go, well, look, let's think about this. So then that became this character, Joe Scaffone. So people, you know, would come to meetings and then say, hey, I covered this with Joe. Joe thinks it's a good idea. Well, okay, maybe I can look at this. So Joe became that person that allowed me to challenge you not to stop at the first right answer in a positive way. And it kind of became my you know, kind of sidekick. And so I wrote the book as Joe Scaffone because I never wanted to say, well, I would do this or you should do that. Or so for me, Joe tells the story of this career and the lessons I learned and the wonderful people I met along the way. And some of the things that maybe can help, can help you as you're moving through your career or you're going through difficult leadership decisions, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life. Joe, a Jersey guy. He sounds like a Jersey, Jersey guy. Jersey guy. Yeah. 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 It, Everybody's got a guy from Jersey. Yeah, right? He, he could have been from long Island though. I actually know somebody named Joe, Joe Scavone. I want to talk a, a little bit about something you mentioned earlier, because you mentioned your passion originally was for, uh, history and, and, and sports coaching with baseball. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, but a lot of people have struggled with this idea of uh, their purpose, finding their purpose and what they're supposed to do in life. And uh, a lot of times it can it can morph and change as you go through more experience. But, uh, you know, especially for the creative people out there who, uh, who for whatever reason, didn't pursue their passion or uh, do what they thought was their purpose uh, in discovering your purpose. um it didn't turn out you it it is a coaching is still a part of what you do uh and you use a lot of sports metaphors obviously in in your motivational speech but it, your 
passion kind of evolved and changed over the years. Can you talk a little bit about that for for the benefit of people who feel stuck and like never just never followed their passion or never uh, connected with their purpose? Well, it's interesting because I think that what happens, and I get the I get the greatest one of the greatest opportunities I get is speaking to juniors and seniors in college or juniors and seniors in high school, and we had this conversation because kids will look at you, especially in high school, and be like, "Well, I don't know." what I want to do. And, you know, like they feel like they're supposed to know what they want to do. And at the end of the day, you know, it's not about that. Most people end up moving side to side or you know, how many people do you talk to all the time and say, yeah, I started out here, but now I'm doing this. You're like, how did you end up over there? Because what ends up happening is, is the, is the biggest passion that you have is, is, is to do good and, and be successful at what you're working at. Feel good about the fact that you did the best job you could and you learn some things along the way and you, and what, what it does is it opens you up to new things then, right? I never thought I would be doing this, but teaching was my passion. I, I wanted to teach. I wanted to be a teacher. And for me, a coach is a, is a teacher who then gets you pumped up and it helps you kind of uh, execute it. So to me, the, the teaching part was in the, is teach you how to do it. But the coaching part then was helping you to execute it, right? Getting you on the field if you're in sports or, or in business. Okay, let's let's go. You know, if, if I'm working with someone and, and teaching them, you know, working on a sales process or building their funnel management or whatever it is in business, well, then maybe I would go out with them on a bit on you know on a sales call and help them close the deal. And then so that would get me my my teaching of helping them with that. But then it would close. You know, the coaching would be helping them close that. And so I think the key is that you have to be open, that you that your goal is to be the best you can be at, at the things that you're working on and you're stretching yourself to learn new things. And I think that's what ends up helping you. And you can't be afraid to try new things. I mean, now for me, I could tell you that when I first started this journey, that probably wasn't me. That wasn't Rocky Romanella. But remember what Pasquale Romanella told me, rest his soul, when he said to me, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. So I remember when they tapped me on the shoulder for mailbox, et cetera. And our CEO at the time was Jim Kelly. And I said, and I looked at him, I go, Jim, you got to have somebody smarter than me in this organization to do this. <laughs> and he looked at me, he goes, well, I think you're the right person for this. I go, Jim, Jim, I don't know anything about franchising. I've been in the McDonald's. That's it. What, what are we doing here? And he looked at me, he goes, look, you know what? But, but one of the things that you, you love doing is learning. You, you're the guy that has to understand how things work. And so I know that you'll take that learning how to make things work and no one will outwork you. No one, you know, you may not understand it today, but I guarantee you six months from now, you'll have figured it out. So I think that you have to understand is what's in your heart. What's your, what, what is your passion? It's not being something. What's your passion? Is it teaching? Is it coaching? Is it, is, is it be, you're intuitive? You're inquisitive. You're a learner. You know, you like working with your hands. Well, if those are your passion, then if you love working with your hands, you may start out as a woodworker, but then become the, the greatest machine shop person and you're building high tech weapons. It's because that's really what your passion is. Your passion is to be the best you can in something that that you feel makes a difference. And I think that and then you then you start to move in different directions. And so, you know, I think about it as I jumped around, you know, OK, well, I did this. I did this. I did this. I mean, I look back now and I'm like, wow. But there was many nights I drove home at night. I mean, got asked a question once in this big meeting and someone says to me, you know, as serious as a heart attack, you know, what keeps you up awake at night? What is, 
what is that thing that you're the most worried about? And I think they thought I was going to talk about some economic thing or I said, I- I'm worried that they're going to figure out I'm the guy they promoted and change their mind. That's <laughs> right. He's a little funny guy with a in charge of this billion dollar organization. Hey, I'm a little worried about this. I don't know about you, but I got four kids I got to feed. I want to make sure I don't screw this up, you know? So yes, I worry that I'm the right guy for the job and that I continue to get better at this job and that that all these people who are going home and feeding their families, I want to make sure I'm doing the best job I can because I would never want to be the person because of my poor decisions or me not working as hard as I can at my job. There's a padlock on the front gate now and they don't have a job. I would never want that on my conscience or I would never want that as part of my responsibility. So yeah, I'm going to work because I, because what people don't understand is the higher you go, the harder you work. Right. On the job, you need to get better at it. You need to understand where the puck's going. So I think people get caught up in this title of things, you know, well, I want to be this. So do I, you know, am I going to be this or that? No, you're going to be the best you can be by working as hard as you can. And Oh, by the way, it may be, it may be working as hard as you can in something slightly different than you started. And that's okay. As long as, as long as you're working as hard as you can at trying to be the best you can at it. Well, I, I think um, I know that many co- creative people uh, related to what you just said about what, what keeps you up at night, uh, they're going to figure out. Uh, we call that in the creative arts, that's called the imposter syndrome. And you, it no matter, very successful people are, have it. And they, they feel like, what did I, I'm not sure I deserve this. And it, it's, it's, I'm not sure if I'm, uh, I'm, I've done the right things and I feel like, you know what, I'm in this place and I'm not sure who I am at the, at that point. So I think uh, a lot of creative people can, can take solace that, you know, a successful businessman can, can also kind of relate to that. I'm not sure if I'm the right guy for this. And I hope nobody finds out that I'm just faking it here. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning, man. you're working you're working it because you know it's it's like think about when you were in that in that new role responsibility and and you really want you started out with the intention of doing the best job you could and you worked your way through it but you had to you drove home at night saying you know because you you had look the, the difference let me give you one more example of the difference between management and leadership a manager says people work for them a leader says there are people in my care I never refer to people that, hey, these people work for me. No, these are people in my care. Because that's as a leader has people in their care. They wow. And that's the biggest difference. You're not managing people. You're, I'll be honest. I never heard any anybody say that before. Uh, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, it's a positive thing. And it definitely uh, feels a lot better than this guy works for me. I always thought that was like a condensation. Like, you yeah. Condensation. Yeah. No, they work. I work. Well, first of all, I work with them because there's no everybody. There's no no easy jobs in any company, and we all have a role, right? Think about the quarterback. Yeah, he may have the glamorous job, but I think if every lineman stopped blocking, they he probably figure out pretty quickly. He needs. Right. To- you, you like those sports analogies, so uh, yeah, I I get that. I just we are over the hour. I just got oh, one more, sure. more question to kind of because I think this is important. What's your what's your uh, beliefs about failure? Oh man. Biggest learning experience you can have. Look, you're gonna make you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna fail. Make them small. Make them fast, and move on because you're gonna make them. And some of the best lessons you learn are from failures. Look, the the biggest mistake people make most of the times is it's analysis paralysis. They can't make a decision or lock. Oh, you know, I, I should, shouldn't I? And you know what? You're gonna make mistakes. Make them small. Make them fast, and move on because that's gonna be your best learning experience.
Wow. Great stuff. Thank you, Rocky. Uh, I, I would love to have you back on the, the business edition uh, when you're available. Uh, just to kind of talk about, because one of the real important issues, I think, is team building. And I, I, we didn't have time really to, to go into that because it's a, a huge subject all, all in itself. But uh, if you would come back, I would definitely appreciate that. I think you've, you've, you've dropped a lot of gems on us here tonight and a lot for, to give people a lot to think about. Uh, the website is on the, on the, the, the scroll right now. It's 360managementservices.com. It's the number three, and then it's all written out, 60 Management Systems. The uh, link will be in the description for people. Uh, uh, the book, though, is it available on Amazon? Where do they get the book? Yeah, the book is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's a five-star book. It's really doing well. It's very humbling to see it doing so well. And uh, really appreciate it. I think there's some great stories in there you'll like and learn. And, uh, hey, and if, it, if you need, if you need, have any questions, don't hesitate to email me or you can rockyromanella at gmail.com. Gotcha. And the name of the book, uh, once again, is Tighten the Lug Nuts, uh, and, and it's by Rocky Romanella. Uh, Rocky, I appreciate your, your time and insight here, and you've been uh, really a, a great source of information and entertainment as well. So I appreciate your time, and I, I wish you continued you know, success all the way to the start, my friend. Oh, thank you, sir. Pleasure meeting you, and good luck. Be safe, and uh, happy holidays to all out there. Same, same to you, and bye for now. This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% store-wide when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by VaporDNA. Founded in 2013, VaporDNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code OrionQ. 
Rocky Romanelli, a lot of a lot of gems there, folks. Uh, but you know what? The the one that's going to stick with me the most is it's at the end there when he was talking about failure. If you're going to fail, uh, fail, make it small, make it fast, and move on. Uh, a lot, to, a lot to, that's going to stick with me because I tend to dwell on it. I tend to do on small failures, and it, uh, you know, there's two schools of thought here. Failure doesn't exist; everything's a learning lesson, or you fail, failure is very real. And I tend to beat myself up over everything that doesn't go wrong and second guess myself. Uh, so make it small, make it fast, and move on. I love that stuff. Uh, so anyway, I hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you come back, tell your friends about it, subscribe. Go to my YouTube channel, subscribe there. Go to MindDogTV.com. Get on my mailing list and questions and comments for me. Uh, always info at MindDog tv.com tomorrow at 1 p.m we have another version of meet the author with a author named sherry marquette so i hope you'll join me then it's 1 p.m eastern time till then i'm matt napple for the mind of tv podcast thanks for joining me tonight have a great night and bye for now Across the country Making love and telling lies Somewhere along the road Said to say Kathy had a heart of gold Curves a man would love to hold I love her even so We settled down in Phoenix With the distance grew between us So many nights I was surprised I had to let her go You know I love the ladies They make me feel alive
I'm on.